This episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show is sponsored by Holman Cadillac in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Get 0% financing on all new Cadillac ATS, ATS Coupe, CTS, SRX, XTS, and Escalade models through September 31st. Cadillac is a luxury car, and Holman Cadillac in Mount Laurel, New Jersey is a luxury car experience. Call 866-865-6973 or go to holmancadillac.com. Now, here's the show. I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? All I could say in Mike Sielski is wow. That's exactly what Doug Peterson said when he came off the field. If you read Zach Berman's game story in your Philadelphia Inquirer tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, uh, you will read Zach quoting Doug Peterson saying exactly that as he came off the field Sunday night. Uh, this is Mike Sielski from aforementioned Philadelphia Inquirer. He is David Murphy from the Philadelphia Daily News. We are recording this Eagles post-game edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show from the lobby outside the press box at Lincoln Financial Field in the wake of Eagles 34, Steelers 3. And Murph, to me, this was a game that raised expectations for the Eagles for the rest of this season. Whatever you thought, and I think most of us thought, they were supposed to be before the season began, I think that kind of goes out the window now. I think it's one thing to beat the Browns and the Bears, you know, clearly now that we can see with some context, inferior opponents. It's another thing to do what they did in this game today, Sunday, against a team that is a prospective Super Bowl contender, um, that has a long history of success, that has one of the game's best quarterbacks in Ben Roethlisberger, its best wide receiver, maybe the game's best wide receiver in Antonio Brown. And you saw crisp, clean, efficient, often dynamic play from the Eagles on both sides of the ball. Um, I think that starts with the head coach. Absolutely. And that's what I wrote about today. It's always interesting picking story angles. Oh, isn't it fun? <laughs> in, a, in a game like this when you've got uh, two other columnists, uh, two beat writers to, to work around, and, and you're all kind of trying to divvy up Carson Wentz. Yeah. It kind of feels like at some level, like, I'm going to write about the sixth play of the right. second quarter, and somehow I'll – Make it relevant. Put it this way. N- nobody wants the Wendell Smallwood side. <laughs> as impressive as the young man was today. You know, this was all about Carson Wentz. But I, in saying that, in looking at the field, I, you know, I found myself during this game looking at the scoreboard and looking down at the field. This is what I wrote to, to get into my, my column today. You know, I was constantly trying to make the numbers – make sense with the number on the scoreboard you know I mean the the wide receivers were almost invisible today Mm -hmm. other than you know the the key moments that right 19 yard catch by Doyle Green Beckham and the Jordan Matthews catch in the the end zone otherwise 249 of their yards came from Wendell Smallwood Darren Sproles and Kenyon Barner right you know and when you look at that it's fascinating to think about because the Steelers had 251 yards of total offense and when you look at them man for man, 
paper for paper, depth chart for depth chart, you see a guy like Antonio Brown, as you mentioned, not only one of the best wide receivers in the game today, but prop, maybe one of the best route runners of all time. Yeah. Same goes for Ben Roethlisberger. You know, D'Angelo Williams, it would be hard to pick any one of the Eagles running backs over D'Angelo Williams, at least from an experience standpoint. Sure. But, you know, this team has somehow found a way to kind of harness and kind of Frankenstein yeah. all of these these kind of – you know, they're all very specialized players, I think is what I'm trying to get to. You have Doriel Green Beckham. He's a big body. He's good in – Limited circumstances, but yeah. Doug Peterson finds a way to put him in those limited circumstances, as we saw in that 19-yard right. catch on that bullet from Carson Wentz. Uh, you know, same thing with Jordan Matthews. He's not Allen Robinson. He's not. He is not Antonio Brown, but he is a sh- he is a steady, sure route runner, um, tough guy. And and Peterson finds a way to put him in. You know, Darren Sproles, right? Great out of the backfield, great in space. Finds a way to do that. Uh, Josh Huff, same thing. It it, it seems like. Carson Wentz is, is an easy answer for what the difference is between this team last year and this team this year. But I don't think he is the only answer, and I think Doug Peterson deserves a lot of that credit. I agree. I think Jim Schwartz deserves a lot of it too because you see something similar happening you know, on the defense. You have Jalen Mills, who has been struggling in coverage as a rookie, you know, which you would expect from a rookie seventh-round pick, um, and yet they're working around that. You had some alignments along the defensive line tonight – that were really interesting. At one point, you know, Marcus Smith and, and Bo Allen lining up next to each other. You know, Vinnie Curry and Brandon Graham as defensive tackles. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you see Schwartz getting creative and, you know, turning these guys loose in a way that clearly did not happen over the three years of Bill Davis and 3-4 and kind of the limitations that he seems to have put on this defense. Um, you know, I mean, to me, the question that, you know, moving forward becomes, okay, how do you overcome, if you're the Eagles, some very obvious weaknesses and flaws, such as the eventual absence of Lane Johnson for 10 weeks because of the PED suspension, the cornerback situation, the fact that, as you mentioned, you know, the wide receivers were relatively non-existent tonight and tend to drop passes even when they are existent. Um, You know, these are things that, are going to come up. And so far, Peterson and Schwartz have done a really good job with a lot of help from Wentz um, in, in kind of scheming their way around this, as you said. But, you know, those, those issues aren't going away. And it's going to be interesting to see if they are able to just overcome them or whether they start to address them in some way. Yeah, I mean, the thing I just kept on asking myself, both in the process of writing and then afterwards, while I was waiting for you to finish writing so we could record Sorry. this podcast. <laughs> Sorry. I kept on thinking, how good – this team can't be that good, right? I, did, like, I, I literally had that line in my column. Like, they're not this good, right? They, I mean, everybody acknowledges that, right? <laughs> like, they can't be 34-3 to 3 good. And I'm sure – I mean, from a fan standpoint, there's no reason to go out of your way to believe that they're not that good. But this is just such a radical departure from what any of us expected heading into this game that – look. The Steelers played really bad. Let's yeah. start with that. Ben Roethlisberger played awful. Uh, I thought the game plan – I thought the Steelers' offensive game plan was, was suspect at best. They ran the ball ten times total, yeah. and I think two of those were Ben Roethlisberger. Yes. They did not find a – see, here's the thing that Doug Peterson always seems – it always seems like he's got the matchups he wants. 
you know, and Carson Wentz knows exactly what that matchup is, and all he has to do is pick the right one and make the throw. Whereas I saw those matchups today with the Steelers. You know, you have Antonio Brown lining up on Jalen Mills, and, you know, several times there's a wide open middle of the field. You know, the Eagles are in a, like a, you know, all-out blitz look. And they just didn't find ways to get Antonio Brown, you know, in those short intermediate routes yeah. that, that, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like they, they did not do a great job of – and I know he had 12 catches for 114 yards or whatever, but I felt like there was a lot they left on the field. And part of that was Ben Roethlisberger's fault, I think. Yeah, and I mean, give some credit to the Eagles too, though. I mean, I thought their defensive line – Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, how many throws did Roethlisberger make where, you know, Fletcher Cox is hanging off his arm and, you know, Brandon Graham is at his feet and, you know, Vinnie Curry is applying pressure. I mean, they got to him. He was, what, sacked twice, I think, in the first two games of the season, mm-hmm. Steelers' first two games. So they got to him in a way that neither the Bengals nor the Redskins uh, had been able to. Uh, but you're right. Like, it, it's an odd feeling. And watching the Eagles through these, through these first three games in that maybe it's, it's, it's taking three weeks to kind of shake off the Chip Kellyness of watching them from the last three years, but they're, they're, they're holding on to the ball for so long. When they finally punted, I guess, I forget if it was late in the second quarter or in the third quarter, I think it was in the third quarter, I turned to and said to Bob Brookover you know, from the Inquirer sitting next to me, I said, this is the first time they've punted. Like, it just – because they'd only had the ball three or four times. Um, and they'd held it so long and, and had turned those possessions into points. Um, it's and, – and I keep going back to the amount of upheaval that they had in the offseason from a new head coach who has never been a head coach before, new defensive coordinator, and then eight days before the season begins, they trade their starting quarterback. And it's been – more than seamless. Yeah. It's been better than you could have hoped. That's, I mean, that, and again, I think a lot of that goes to, speaks to Peterson, just the crispness. The, yeah. You know, they did not look like the team with the first-year coach and the first-year quarterback out there today. You know, the Steelers made a lot of sloppy penalties, a lot of mindless penalties. There were some drop balls. You know, and we talked a lot about scheme versus personnel last year, and I think the reason why this is such a mind scramble trying to figure out what this team actually is is because Chip Kelly's system was so foreign and yeah. so different and so unique that it, maybe we maybe maybe this really was a great team all along you know maybe 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 these guys really are great players you know maybe this offensive line the offensive line I thought played that's I been the story it, of, yeah. of the first and that's why the Lane Johnson suspension is going to be interesting to see he had a huge block on either Kenyon Barner or Wendell Smallwood's touchdown run over the right side. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon he, Brooks had a great block, on yeah. the, I think, if we're thinking of the same play. But Lane, Lane Johnson just exploded from right tackle and uh, blocked down on Steven Tewitt, the defensive end uh, for the Steelers, and just kind of wiped him out of the play and opened up an entire lane for, I think it was Smallwood. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, so you know, once is had time, and, and I think a lot of it, you know, developing my theory of football here. Like, I think when we talk about scheme versus talent, personnel versus scheme, you you can't really – it's almost like a trick question and you can't tease them away from each other. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that somewhat with Doug Peterson. Like, again, 
Carson Wentz is really the only major change. I mean, Kenyon Barner, Wendell, like, are, are they that good? Ken, Kenyon Barner, Wendell Small, what, or does Doug Peterson just have a need a certain type of player to execute, execute certain plays? You know, it, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because I talked to, last week I talked to Frank Reich, the Eagles offensive coordinator, about this a little bit in the sense of Reich has some experience in coaching prodigy quarterbacks late in their career. He coached uh, Peyton Manning. He was the Indianapolis Colts quarterbacks coach in, for Peyton, when Peyton Manning was there. He was the San Diego Chargers offensive coordinator when Phillip Rivers is there. You've got a Hall of Famer and a likely Hall of Famer in those two guys. And what Reich told me was that opposing defensive coordinators don't game plan for a team's offensive scheme as much as they, scheme, they game plan for a team's quarterback and how he might execute that scheme. So if you, if you play that out, if you tease that out, the Steelers are looking at Wentz and how he would execute what they think a Peterson-style offense was going to be. And so you might have an idea of what Peterson is going to do from a scheme standpoint. But is Wentz able to do certain things within it that A, Sam Bradford couldn't do, and B, that the rest of the league is only starting to find out because there's so little film on him and they've had such little time to study him. You know, th through the first couple of games, Peterson has shown, a, for instance, uh, a fondness for kind of misdirection passes, you know, a pump to this side, a pump to that side, and then all of a sudden Wentz is back in the pocket kind of by himself. Would he have done that with Sam Bradford? We don't know. We didn't see much of that with Sam Bradford. So is this something now that going forward, defensive coordinators are going to game plan for with Wentz in particular? Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think the one big thing, and I asked Frank Reich about it after the game today, is just Carson Wentz's pure arm strength and yeah. his ability to, to not make every throw because they said the same thing about Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford can make every throw. But Carson Wentz makes it in a way that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on a defense because the ball gets there so fast that you just don't have I mean he can hit any he can attack any any right. area of the field from any area of the field and the ball gets there and it gets there fast and that just puts so much pressure on on uh defensive backs and defensive coordinators I mean yeah you've got to account for those throws and that's what Reich said he said you know you've got to guard the whole field when when you've got a guy like that out there and that is it, a huge dynamic. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because it, it gets to kind of the, the layer beneath the surface of the way the people who coach and play football think. Like, think about that because basically what you're talking about is, like, Wentz can make a throw from the right hash mark to a wide receiver deep down the left side of the field. Right. You know, I, I remember a high school coach, and this was just at the high school level, talking to me about how if his offense were lined up, let's say, on the left hash mark, the tendency amongst coaches at all levels, if you're going to call a running play in that situation, is to call it towards the right because you have more field. Right. But his thinking was, in those situations, I would always call it to the left side because, A, the defense isn't looking for it, even though because there isn't as much field, but, B, because the footing is better. Like, my running back will get a better push and my offensive line will get a better footing on their blocks because you're not running towards the middle of the field where the grass is chewed up and, and, right. and everybody's been running all game. And that's those sorts of things you think about. And, and to get back to your point with Reich, 
that's what the Eagles can do with Wentz that they couldn't do with Bradford. It's everything is open to them now. I can roll the guy out this way. I can roll him that way. And I know the ball can get there. Right. Yeah, I agree. And then, but then the funny thing is, so then this is kind of, again, like it goes back to the kind of whole mind scramble of this whole thing. And what are these teams? Who are they really? I don't know. Because I'll Sam be Brad, because <laughs> the guy they jettisoned out of town to make room for Carson Wentz right now is three and zero with the Minnesota Vikings, and again played. You know, I watched a lot of that game today. Mm-hmm. Look at his second half numbers; they yeah, were terrific. Great. He, he, uh, like I'll, I think Sam Bradford. I'm not. I was never a big Teddy Bridgewater fan, but I think Sam Bradford is there. That, that's a much better team uh, with Sam Bradford at quarterback, and obviously the defense is great. But you know, Sam Bradford just beat two teams back to back, who many people would have predicted at the start of the season would be facing each other in the NFC Championship game and the Packers and the Panthers. Yeah. Uh, you know, the latter of them with a very good defense. And it's just interesting because when you look at the other undefeated quarterbacks around the NFL, you have Trevor Semyon, uh, you know, with the Denver Broncos. You know, you have Sam Bradford. You have – it's just – Well, that's we, what everybody thought, right? That and Trevor Simeon, Carson Wentz, and Sam Bradford were going to be the three best well, quarterbacks and, in the league. And Jacoby Brissett, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then the only other one is Flacco, of course. Because he's your favorite. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. (laughs) Um, But it just like it kind of like disrupts the whole notion that this is all about the quarterback. And right now we're witnessing what happens when you have a true franchise quarterback because the other teams in that position have Jacoby Brissett, Trevor Simeon and Sam Bradford. Well, you know, and I, I wrote about this in a column a month or two ago. You know, we've talked kind of glancingly about Wentz's mind and how smart he is. And it certainly seems like he retains um, information or scheme packages or thinks through the game in a way that most rookies don't. And, And I would argue that the game, the sport right now, is catered to smart quarterbacks. It's not necessarily catered to big, strong physical throw the ball through a brick wall quarterbacks those kind of guys you know everybody can fall in love with those kind of guys but given that uh given the complexity of offenses given the offseason now where there's so little physical training that's allowed by the collective bargaining agreement um those that the setup of the whole league kind of favors a really smart savvy experienced quarterback I think it's part of the reason Carson Palmer had such a good year last year is that He's 35, 36. He's been around a while. He knows what he sees. Um, my argument was that if the Eagles were going to stick with Sam Bradford as their quarterback, it's not outlandish to think he'd have a pretty good year because he's been around a while and he's, you know, can throw the ball and is smart. And that's where the league is headed now. Yeah. I, I think I would go more towards. Like, yeah, into, I think that there's a synergy required between personnel and coach like I, I keep going back to to Belichick and the fact that he is 3-0 and right now with Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett as his quarterbacks and not only is he 3-0 and but he is coming off a 27 to nothing shutout on a short week of a team that was supposed to be an AFC right. contender who spent 72 million dollars this offseason on the quarterback <laughs> position and you know, has you don't talk about best receivers in the games. DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins has made oh, some God. catches this year that, yeah. Like, I mean, Antonio Brown, best route runner in the game, but DeAndre Hopkins, in terms of like his adjustment to the ball and and his ability to make to make whatever comes his way, that kind of catch. I mean, I don't think there's anybody better. 
No, and never mind a, defen- anyway. never mind a defense that's supposed to be among the anyway, five or six so, best in the league. So, you know, obviously the conventional wisdom is going into that Patriots-Texans game is that the Patriots are doomed because they're down to their third quarterback, and, like, the quarterback's the most important position in the entire, you know, thing. And yet 27 nothing. Like, what does that right. speak to? Like, to me, like, that speaks to it's about a coach who understands what his quarterback can do and maximizes that, who understands what the players around. Like, look, man, I added this up to, to you know, kind of break the balls of my friend who's a, a Patriots fan, but the Patriots winning percentage with Tom Brady over the, you know, since he inherited the, the job is 771, and their winning percentage without him is like 722. Yeah. So it's like, how good is Brady really? Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I was busting, and again, I, Brady's great. But <laughs> the point stands, they're 13 and 5. You know, with right Matt Castle, Jacoby Brissett, and Jimmy Garoppolo, and while that does not invalidate the importance of the quarterback position, I think it like really reinforces how important a good coach is to mm-hmm. the whole thing. Well, look, all right. So look at look at uh, like one of the things, and I, I this is absolutely true. I think one of the, one of the um, reasons that is given for part, you know, for why Wentz has gotten off to this incredible start is not only his natural ability, physical, mental, all that stuff. It's that his head coach is an ex-quarterback, his offense coordinator is an ex-quarterback, and he has an ex-quarterback, albeit at lower levels of football, as his quarterback's coach in John Filippo, Frank Reich, and Doug Peterson in reverse order. Look at some of the other high draft picks as quarterbacks who have flamed out or are not succeeding as well or not, have not hit the level of success that Wentz, or at least the level of play that Wentz seems to exhibit. Take Blake Bortles in Jacksonville, who I like from a physical tool right. standpoint. His head coach is Gus Bradley. Who, who's the guru there that he's got to teach him how to play the right. game? Mark Sanchez, again, limited physically. I get that. Limited in plenty of ways. But when he got drafted, he got drafted by the Jets. Rex Ryan, Mike Pettin. Where was the guru? You know, Brian Schottenheimer is your offensive coordinator. Where's the guru who's going to shepherd Sanchez through all those rookie mistakes and show him how the, the position is really played? Um, you know, look at the Rams right now. They could have taken Carson Wentz, but Jeff Fisher, defensive coach, and that organization takes Jared Goff instead, and Goff hasn't taken a snap. So. And yet they're two and one. Yeah, and yet they're two and one. So maybe Jeff Fisher's, you know, really. Yeah, is like smart. I don't see. Maybe I he's been fooling everybody all these years. I don't know how much it is the the whole quarterback teaching a quarterback how to be a quarterback. I'm focusing more on, and again, I think that the coaching is a big part of it. But I'm focusing more on Doug Peterson understanding how Carson Wentz's strengths will mm. express themselves mm-hmm. on a football field, and building a game plan that not only incorporates Wentz's strengths, but incorporates the strengths of all the rest of his, his players. Because yeah. the Eagles do not have many well-rounded, you know, no, you're offensive right. football players. You're right. But what they do have is guys, you know, Wendell Smallwood has very good burst. You know, Kenyon Barner, we saw today, is, is a quick runner. You know, Darren Sproles is very good after the catch. Mm-hmm. Brent Selleck's good in traffic. And he just seems to find a way to use each of those tools to kind of build this like Frankenstein of an offense. And yeah. I, I think that there's, and again, like I, the Bella, it goes down, it goes back to Belichick. Like he, he, you know, I joked on Thursday night, he's almost, sometimes I suspect he's hoping Brissett gets hurt just so, just, he, just so he can run an offense <laughs> catered 
toward Julian Edelman running the triple option. Yeah. Like that, you I, know, like, but that's the thing is I think that like sometimes we make it a little like we make the whole thing a little more abstract and mystical than it than it like it's all about the QB. Is he the QB? Is he not the QB? Like maybe Blake Bortles in this situation would be the QB too if he had a guy right. who was like, okay, this is what Blake Bortles does well. This is how I'm going to teach him to do it well. Mm-hmm. And this is the game plan I'm going to institute that maximizes that. And I think Belichick's the best in history yeah. at, at doing that. You know, I mean, he's, he's won with every any, any combination of talent you put at his disposal, he's won with. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brady is why they won all those Super Bowls, but whatever. Yeah, but no, I mean, go back to when they were winning those Super Bowls. I mean, they won... They won in 2001, 02 with one of the best defenses in the league when Brady was a, right. you know, was a first time He was starter. a game manager back then. Right. People forget that. Two years later, they win the Super Bowl, and they have virtually no running game at all. I mean, it is Brady who is the right. offense. Antonio Smith is their running back. The following, Antoine Smith. Antoine Smith, excuse me. The following year, they sign Corey Dillon, and suddenly they become a power, you know, f- power running focused offense with Brady and Deion Branch, basically. You know, and we've seen what's happened since then. They get Randy Moss. They go to, you know, tight end orient, you know, orientation. They go to short, quick throws with, you know, Edelman and, you know, Danny Woodhead or whoever. Right. You know. Welcome. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, you're right. They can do it in different ways. And it looks like, so far through three games, that, that Peterson gets a sense. Of, it certainly looks like Wentz, from a physical standpoint, yeah. can do that. He's, he's content throwing a swing pass here. You know, we should probably, you know, we, we've got this new feature, the throwgasm feature. Um, and uh, you just wanted to say that. Word. I did want to say it. Yeah, of course. It's late. It's Sunday night. And uh, I want to go home. time for a throwgasm. My uh, my uh, mine is that 19 yarder to uh, D uh, DGB. Yeah. Like that. That's a throw that not a lot of quarterbacks can or will make. And it's the kind of throw that to me is the game changer in terms of why the Eagles felt like once was worth the investment that they made in him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, for those listening I, at home or in your car, we're getting heckled by sports writers as they leave yeah. the building. So we're like the uh, dorky AV club set up yeah, here. Out yeah, exactly. In the lobby. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the kind of throw that opens up this offense that when a defensive back has to respect that throw, when a defensive coordinator has to account for those kinds of throws in his game plan, it opens up those screens and that short stuff. And, you know, I think that's why Doug Peterson has always been a huge fan of Carson Wentz because he sees what that arm strength and the mobility uh, can bring to, to just the threat, just the threat of it. Um, so that's my throw. Guys. Okay. So I have, I have two, one that I would attribute multiple. to Wentz. You have multiple, I have multiple throwgasms. One I would attribute to Wentz. One I would attribute to Doug Peterson. The one I attribute to Wentz was a play, I believe it was in the second quarter, and it looked like kind of a broken play. Um, Nelson Aguilar was, was lined up in the slot, I believe, and he was supposed to block yeah. somebody on a screen or a swing pass, and he missed the block. Yeah, it was supposed to be a quick screen, it looked like. Yeah. Like the receiver steps back, Nelson Aguilar blocks, Carson Wentz hits the guy real quick. Well, except Try, that's, what it's that's supposed what's to supposed to happen. It didn't happen. Aguilar misses the block, so he takes off on kind of a – you know, um, makeshift slant route towards the middle. Wentz has a guy in front of him, and he takes two steps to his right and throws a kind of three-quarter or sidearm to get it to Aguilar for a seven-yard gain. And what impressed me about that throw, I mean, it's, it's kind of a forgettable play in the game, but what impressed no, me I... about that throw was his willingness and ability to change his arm angle on that throw. It reminded me on this one throw of Brett Favre, the idea of, like, not every single pass, are you capable of throwing – 
different passes out of different arm slots to get them around a defender, over a defender, that sort of thing. I don't see Sam Bradford ever do much of that, or Mark Sanchez, or Nick Foles. And it's that kind of throw that separates, you know, a guy who can be a terrific quarterback from a guy who can just be a guy, I yeah, think. I agree. Um, the second one was the deep ball to Matthews with seven and a half minutes to go, and the Eagles up 34-3 to with Carson Wentz still in the game and Doug Peterson asking him to throw the ball deep down the right. field in a 34-3 to game. And I asked Peterson about this afterwards, and he basically said, I want to send a message that, you know, we're going to keep being aggressive, et cetera, et cetera. I loved that. I loved it from Peterson because I thought it's not just a message to his team, like this is who we are, this is who we're going to be, we're going to go for it on fourth down, we're going to put our feet in the necks of whoever the opponent is. I also thought it was a message to the rest of the NFL, like we're beating the Steelers, we're kicking their you-know-whats, and we're continuing to do it even though the game's pretty much decided. Now it's risky. It was risky to have Wentz out there, and you opened yourself up, I suppose, to a retaliatory act. But in the moment, I kind of thought, okay, I see what he's doing, and I kind of liked it. All right. Well, on that note, it sounds like you're sufficiently hot and bothered by Carson Wentz. Oh, yeah. So I guess the last question before we call it a night, I'm about to fall asleep. Um, (laughs) Please drive home safely. How good is this team really? Because they're they're not just a buzzsaw that's going to run through the the NFL, are they? I don't think so, but they've – They've won these three games, ninety-two to twenty-seven. There's, I guess, the one thing you can say is they have not played a good defense yet, and the Steelers were supposed to be that. Uh, again, I'm just looking for yeah. reasons. I, I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to not sus- whatever the opposite of suspend disbelief is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make. We're looking. My for, entire, my yeah. entire universe is shattered right now because of the. the Everybody's is if 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 you saw this coming. You're either lying or you get paid to buff Jeffrey Lurie's shoes. Like, or you see everything coming and you thought Nick Fo- you would have, you know. Yeah. You know, or you're just saying, oh, Nick Foles is going to be the next Joe Montana. And right, exactly. Sam Bradford will be the next Joe Montana. And Mark Sanchez is really good in Chip Kelly's offense. And I will say this. I think that, that, that it's going to be a very fascinating uh, Vikings-Eagles oh. game. Cause that's Are you be- talking about the one they're playing in October or the NFC Championship game? <laughs> Let's let's take the one in October first because a that'll be, that's going to be the first good defense that they face, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean Detroit certainly did not look like they had a great defense today. No. They they they've actually been a little disappointing. Their 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 pass rush I thought would be a little bit better than than it has been this year. Um, anyway, we'll see. It's going to be an, uh, uh, speaking of benchmarks, which was a word that was used a lot today um, by Peterson in particular. I mean Detroit. It was kind of the beginning, the end of the Chip Kelly yeah. era last year. Yeah, and on Thanksgiving Day. I think we're going to see – it's going to be interesting to see just how much uh, two weeks allows an opponent to prepare for – although I guess Detroit doesn't necessarily have two weeks to prepare for the Eagles. But Yeah, I don't know. I forget if they're off this week or not. But, yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like something more is going on than a great quarterback. You know, I mean, Andrew, Andrew Luck was great, and they didn't do this to teams his rookie year. I mean, they, they won games, but they weren't winning it like this. Right. You know? Um, right. So it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated by this team all of a sudden. It's, 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 I'm excited to cover this team. Yeah. Like we, said, like we said last week, they're, they're not from a homer standpoint, just from a doing-your-job standpoint. It's a lot of fun when a team in this town, particularly the Eagles, is really good. And 
it's there's no way this team could have been better, I don't think, through the first three games. So it should be cool moving forward. All right, man. Later on. See ya. Hey, folks, before you move on to whatever other podcasts you listen to, one last thing. Holman Cadillac and Mount Laurel sponsors not another Philly sports talk show. Cadillac is the standard for American luxury cars, and Holman Cadillac in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, is the standard for a luxury car buying experience. See Holman Cadillac's extensive selection of new and Cadillac-certified pre-owned vehicles with over 400 on the ground and more coming in to choose from. Go to HolmanCadillac.com or call 866-865-6973.